Our scripture reading today is from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in our own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Wonderful. Oh, thank you, Logan, for reading that. Every once in a while, when you are the scripture reader, you get one of those scriptures that has a bunch of city names and regions and stuff like that, and Logan crushed it. So way to go, buddy. Um, that was not for the faint of heart. Uh Okay, I am going to mention the men's hiking trip. We've got a handful of guys signed up at this point, but more of you should come. But I just want to paint a picture for you. I want to put put an image in your head, because this is what you can do when you go on the men's hike. What you do is you take a piece of aluminum foil. It's big, a big piece of aluminum foil. And then you get some vegetables and some potatoes and some sausage, and you cut it all up at home, and you put it in that aluminum foil with some butter and salt, maybe a little cayenne if you're in the mood. And then you fold it into a little packet. And then you put it in your backpack. And then when we get to our campsite, we'll have a big campfire. And you take that packet of foil and you put it in the campfire. And about 15 minutes later, it's the most glorious thing you've ever eaten. So I'm just saying, you could have that experience in two weekends. If you sign up, you should have gotten an email with a link. If you didn't, uh, then we don't have you on our email list and we need to get you on our email list. And so uh, you can put that in the black book, put your email address in the black book, and we'll make sure that you get the follow-up emails as well. Okay, Acts chapter 2, the uh, gift of the Holy Spirit. I want to give you my main point uh, as, the, as the first thing I say in this, in this sermon unpacking this, and it's this, uh, because... The Holy Spirit has come. We must bear witness to Christ, believing that the power behind our witness comes from Him. So because we have the Holy Spirit, 
We're called to bear witness. We must bear witness to Christ, and we must do so believing that the power behind our witness comes from God and not us. So that's what I want to unpack a little bit. Also, this passage has one of my favorite twists in the Bible. I love the Bible. I love Scripture. I love the way that the story unfolds, and there are places in Scripture that just blow my mind in ways that are uh, just so fun for me to think about and, and talk about. And so, um, so we're going to get to that in a minute. Um, and I'm going to use my phone because I have to read a passage of Scripture that is not in my notes um, for when we get to that. Okay. Who here is familiar with Calvin and Hobbes? Oh, what a relief, because I'm about to talk about them. That would have been weird if you were like, nobody, nobody. So Calvin and Hobbes, it's a comic, comic strip. Uh, that, that kind of went out a, long, a while ago. There ha- I don't think there are any new com- Calvin and Hobbes comics, but it's fantastic. It's about a boy and his tiger. Uh, we don't know if it's a stuffed tiger or if the tiger comes to life when adults aren't around. It's intentionally ambiguous there. Um, but he, but in, in the comic strip Calvin and Hobbes, he has a game that he invented called Calvin Ball. You remember this? You remember Calvin Ball? So... He, Calvin Ball is, is a game where, I'm going to try to describe it to you. Uh, it's a game where the official rules, there are official rules, but the official rules can be changed, they can be dismissed, disregarded, uh, or they can be amended by any player at any time. And those rules include, these are just some of them, uh, any player may declare a new rule at any point in the game, and he may do so audibly or silently. (laughs) Penalties may be in the form of embarrassment, pain, or any other abasement the offended party deems fit to impose on his opponent. Score may be kept or disregarded but shall have no bearing on the game or any logical consistency. And finally, Calvin Ball games may not be played the same way twice. I bring that up because it seems to me that the second chapter of Acts can all of a sudden feel like we're playing a little bit of a game of Calvin Ball. And what I mean by that is we come to this passage of Scripture, we read along, things are happening. Already we're kind of being asked to believe things that seem uh, uncommon and perhaps for some implausible, like the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he was dead in a grave and now he's risen. And then you get to Acts chapter 2, and and just things happen in this chapter where you might want to just throw up your hands and say, what is going on here? Um, And for some of us, maybe the way that we respond to that is is we feel this kind of excitement and a longing for this kind of mystical encounter with God's spirit, and we want what we imagine is happening here to happen to us in the same way. For others of us, we may begin to shift uncomfortably in our chair uh, because we consider the way that chapters like this in Scripture have been applied and maybe misused and maybe abused, and, and, and so we really wrestle with the applications and the implications and interpretations of this chapter in our culture. But here's what I want us to, to understand, and that is that the, the people in Acts chapter 2 who received the Holy Spirit, something new was happening. 
But being filled with the Holy Spirit was not like a, a bonus for the really super spiritual. It was a work of God among the people of God. That's what was happening. And it still happens today. It doesn't look the same way as it happened in Pentecost, but when we become Christians, part of what's happening when a person becomes a Christian is the Spirit of God lives in you, indwells you. And so what happens at Pentecost is something that is a necessity for any Christian. It's that we have the Spirit of God living in us. And we need this because of what Jesus said right before the ascension in Acts chapter 1 and also in the Great Commission in, uh, in, in Matthew. And that's this, that Christ said, you will be my witnesses. But see, what happens at Pentecost is not something completely different from what Christ has been telling his disciples would, would happen all along. Because one thing that Jesus said to his disciples, and we read this in John 15, 5, is he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And then at the end of Matthew, he says, you will be my witnesses. And so we need the Spirit of God to fill us for the work that we've been called to do. Because apart from the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. And yet we have a calling to do something. And so that's what happens in Acts chapter 2. It tells us you're called to be the witnesses to Christ, and you're going to need power to do that. And God is going to be himself that power. And so his Spirit will come to live in us. And what it tells us then is that the power behind our witness comes from from him and not from us. So I want to I spend a little bit of time unpacking what's happening here at Pentecost and putting it in a biblical context. So put your Bible study hat on, because uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to study this passage in the context of Scripture. So the detail and the timing of God here at Pentecost communicates a lot of the significance of the events that are happening here. So when this happens helps us understand what is happening. So the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. The word Pentecost literally means 50, uh, and it refers to the 50th day after Passover. So that's what the word Pentecost means. Uh, Pentecost was the feast of the first fruits of the harvest. And so in Leviticus 23, 17, we read that the people uh, are called during this feast to bring the first fruits of their harvest as an offering of celebration and thanks to God. And since this feast is prescribed in Scripture, in other words, it's commanded in Scripture for Jewish people to observe, there would have then been a multitude of travelers gathered there in Jerusalem for this holiday. And that's why, that's why, as Logan read, there are so many people from so many different places speaking so many different languages who are there because they've gathered for this feast. So Pentecost, so first fruits of the harvest is part of what Pentecost signifies. Um, it, it also commemorates the day in which, coming down as a pillar of fire and power, God delivered the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. So that's another thing that Pentecost is celebrating, is it's celebrating when God came down as a pillar of fire and gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. So it's fitting that the Lord would choose this holiday. Why? Because this is a day that celebrates 
the beginning of a harvest and the presence of God giving a law. So it's fitting. It's a holiday that was that the promised Holy Spirit is coming. Um, it's another occasion where God would come down and he would meet with his people in a special way, equipping them for the road that lies ahead. So what happened on Pentecost, this day of harvest and being attended to by the power and the presence of God? Well, the text tells us in verses 2 through 4 that the Holy Spirit, coming like a mighty rush of wind and descending like tongues of fire, upon the believers gathered there, filled the disciples, and they began to speak in other tongues or languages. So there are a couple of images here uh, that we're going to look at, and I want to look at the key images and events included here. So specifically, I want to look at the rush of wind, the tongues of fire, and the speaking in other tongues. You can imagine my disappointment as a crafter of a sermon when I saw that two of the points were going to be wind and fire, and I could not figure out a way to include earth. But man, that would have been fun. Speaking in other tongues. So wind, fire, and the speaking in other tongues. All right. So verse 2 says that a sound like a violent blowing wind came from heaven. Two of the primary ways that God manifested himself in his presence in the Holy Spirit were wind and fire. Uh, in, in wind, the manifestation of wind, when God shows up as wind, it's a symbol of new life. Let me take you through some examples of this. Uh, it's, it's, it's the imagery of, of breath and new life. And so we see it at creation, where God forms man from the dust, and what does he do? He breathes into his nostrils giving him life. And then we look at the book of Exodus. As the people are crossing the Red Sea, what happens? A great wind comes and pushes the water back. It drives the water back. Billy Servany preached about that passage uh, earlier this summer. And, And one of the striking things, it's one of those details. You can read the Bible 50 times and somehow just not pick up on some of these details. And that was one for me that I had just not really considered. And that's the Red Sea didn't just part quietly. But it parted because of wind driving the water back. That must have been chaotic and terrifying and amazing all at the same time. But that's what happened, right? A a wind came and drove the water back, enabling Israel to live and cross over on dry ground. And again, we see the presence of God in Ezekiel chapter 37, where Ezekiel is looking at that valley filled with dry bones which represented the people of God in exile. And what did God say? God said, I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. And so when wind represents the presence of God, it's, it's, it's always linked, linked to God's power to give new life. Interestingly, that is the outcome of the call to bear witness to Jesus, new life. Jesus described it as being born again, born a second time. And so that's what we're called to be about. We're called to be people who are bearing witness to Christ, the outcome of which is people finding new life, being given new life. And so we can think of that spirit wind at Pentecost as an image of the breath of God empowering the believers there 
for the work of proclaiming the message of the gospel, which gives new life. Pretty cool, huh? Fire. That's the second image. And it's also the other primary sign of God's presence in the Old Testament. We see it when God cut his covenant with Abraham, right? That he appeared there as a torch. We see it when he appeared to Moses in the form of what? In the form of a burning bush, right? And he later led Israel through the wilderness as what? A pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. And so here in Acts, Luke describes what seemed to be tongues of fire that came and separated and came to rest on each of them. And so think about fire and what it does. Fire is used for light and it's used for heat. Both images of what God brings to a cold and dark world. And fire also spreads, right? As Christianity is meant to do. It's meant to be like a spreading flame of illumination and warmth. The fact that the flames appeared as tongues resting on each one is a wonderful allusion to what the Holy Spirit was equipping them to do, and that was to testify, to speak. And so the Spirit of God was, in essence, becoming their tongue, which would articulate the gospel to otherwise spiritually dead souls. Do you see that? What's happening is, is, is in a way, the image here is they're being given a new tongue, and it is the tongue of God. And so in this call to bear witness, what you're seeing is it's the Holy Spirit who will do the testimony. It's the Holy Spirit who will give the new life. It's the Holy Spirit who will warm the soul, though you will be a mouthpiece. And this is essential. Why? It's essential because of what Ephesians 2 tells us. And what it tells us is that people who do not have a relationship with Jesus are spiritually dead in their sins. Not disinterested, not apathetic, but dead in their sins. And so what hope could we have that our testimony could ever lead to the rebirth of someone who is spiritually dead in their sins? You can't persuade the dead. Well, the hope is that God's spirit, like a fire, would light up the darkness of spiritual death and warm death's coldness and breathe the breath of life into a person, making them alive in Christ. You see it? All right, finally, speaking in other tongues. After the wind and the fire, the text tells us that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues. And then the context tells us what's happening here. Uh, So we have to resist uh, giving over to mysticism here because it makes perfect sense in its context. The text tells us that the other tongues that they spoke were in fact languages. They were known languages. And this is powerful because... Pentecost turned Jerusalem into a cosmopolitan meeting ground for people from all over the world. Verses 8 through 10 show us the breadth of the geography of the people who were represented there, from Libya in Africa to Parthia in Asia to Rome in southern Europe and all places in between. And it's not just that the many tongues were represented in Jerusalem, but that so were the cultures of the world. So all the cultures were gathered there. 
And Luke uses the term filled with the Holy Spirit nine times in the book of Acts. And one thing that they all have in common is that when a believer is filled with the Spirit, they immediately begin to verbally bear witness to Christ in powerful and effective ways. So the emphasis of the tongues, the languages, is not on what was said, but on what was heard, right? That people heard the gospel in their own language. The disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, and the immediate result was the proclamation of the gospel to this collection representing the whole world, each hearing the wonders of God in his own tongue. Okay. Here's the part of the Bible that blows my mind. This comes from Genesis. It's one of the parts. I don't have to qualify that, do you, and say, that, you know, there are other parts of the Bible that blow my mind too, but here it is. Genesis 11. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly, for they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we'd be dispersed over the face of the earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower and the children, which the children of man had built. And God said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the languages of all the earth. Okay. So at the Tower of Babel, you have God's people in one place, speaking one language, building this tower so that they can ascend to him on their terms. And God confuses their language so that they stopped building. You can, you can almost see the image of them just putting down their hammers and chisels because I don't understand what you're saying and you don't understand. And frustration, and they just disperse. Do you realize that Acts chapter 2 is the next time when God's people are gathered together in one place and they understand each other. Pentecost is the undoing of Babel, guys. It's amazing. It's amazing. They're all there. And they're there from all over the world. The they that, that Acts 2 refers to, they were gathered there, is the people who had believed in the message of Jesus Christ. The people who were receiving the Holy Spirit. And what is happening is God is coming to them. And he is giving them his spirit. And he is making his presence dwell in them rather than them build this tower to him. And he's undoing what he did at Babel. He's redeeming and restoring. It's a powerful image of what God is doing. If God is doing that there, imagine 
the full scope of the redemption that he intends. It, it's, it's poetry that the Spirit would come on the disciples in such a way during this celebration of first fruits, that they might see the Lord equipping them and using them to do the very thing that he had called them to do, to bear witness to him throughout the world. And so this is our calling. Our calling is to be Christians in public. Our calling is to be people who bear witness to Christ who lives in us, believing that the power behind our witness comes from him and not us. And he equips us with his spirit to carry out his call in our lives and to bear witness to him. Throughout the book of Acts, we're going to see the message of Jesus. And one of the things we're going to see is people proclaim the message of Jesus is how it, it leads them to face great persecution. In fact, most of the apostles die because of this call. Most of the apostles die as martyrs. And listen, we don't face that kind of persecution in America. Don't think we do because we don't. We have struggles, we have things that, we, that we can, we're concerned about, but we don't face the kinds of things that they faced. We're blessed to have laws that protect Christians from physical persecution for our faith. And I believe that one of the results of the safety that we enjoy as Christians in our culture is this phenomenon of privatizing our faith, of making it just something that's kind of personal and mine. And it can become so personal to us that we never share it with anybody. And we have our reasons for this. We have our reasons for the, for the silence. Uh, for some of us, we've, we've lost our passion for the things of God, and consequently then we've also lost our voice for his salvation because we're, we're like David prayed in Psalm 51, "'Restore unto me the joy of your salvation.'" For others of us, we have no confidence in our ability to persuade anyone of anything. The good news is you don't have to. Uh, The Spirit of God will do that. And for others of us still, we've maybe just never really regarded Christianity as something that you do anything with. But we are called to bear witness to Christ. And I can tell you that as you do, be it ever so humble or plain, the Lord will be present in your witness. And he will do exceedingly more than all that you ask or think. There's great power behind your witness for Christ. And we'll see it over and over again in the book of Acts, how the Lord uses simple lives to powerfully bear witness to him. And so I conclude with the point that I started with, and it's this, because the Holy Spirit has come, we must bear witness to Christ, believing that the power behind our witness comes from him. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this passage uh, that confounds us. And I think for many of us, if we're honest, the reason it confounds us is because we're a little uncomfortable with the thought of your spirit working through us in ways that are transformative. Uh, We may not see ourselves as as being people who have that kind of uh, influence, or we may see ourselves as people that might think that that's just not something that could ever happen through us. And yet you tell us that we will be your witnesses in the world. And you tell us apart from you we can do nothing. And you tell us that your spirit will come and live inside of us. And so, Lord, we know that when we bear witness to you, you're the one who speaks. And we know that when people hear the words that we say, 
they hear what you intend for them to hear. And so, Father, would you make that a comfort for us as we seek to be faithful to this call? Thank you for not leaving us. Thank you for not leaving us with an instruction book of things to do in, in which you check in on us from time to time, but that your spirit lives in us. Would you cause this church to flourish and thrive because we are spending time in your word with your spirit as your people and because we are bearing witness to you in the circles that you have put us in. And we thank you for the, the power of redemption. Thank you for undoing Babel uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit that we would not have to ascend to, to build a tower to you, but that you would come to us and that we would not have to find the words, but that you would give us the language and that your spirit would speak through us. And we thank you for all this in your matchless name. Amen.